Welcome to Ballistic Radio. Join us as we explore the subtlety and nuance inside the world of personal protection. Listen as industry experts, thought leaders, and pioneers investigate why it depends is the answer of champions. Ballistic Radio, critical thought over empty rhetoric. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance. Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at BigTechsOrdinance.com. And now, here's your host. John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Text Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at BigTextOrdinance.com. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other stuff at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And I totally don't feel deja vu right now, because I would never make a mistake. Um, I'm super honored and glad to welcome back onto the show, uh, after a number of years, uh, Dan Papale. Dan, how are you doing? Doing well, John. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so as, as many people kind of know, um, there's been a recent incident that has had active shooter response at the forefront of pretty much everyone's mind. And I kind of feel like you are uniquely positioned to talk about this. Um, but I'll let you share as much or as little um, as to why that is, as you would like. Um, I guess start with who are you and what do you do and um, what's been your personal experience as far as active shooters go? And we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a police officer. Uh, boy, I've been one now for going on 18 years. I uh, work in southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, I've worked for a couple different departments here in that time. Uh, and yeah, I, I guess I have the somewhat unique distinction uh, of having been involved on different levels in two uh, major active killer incidents that had occurred. Um, the, the first, which I, I previously discussed on a different episode here with you, um, was at a psychiatric hospital where I was one of the first responding officers um, to to a scene uh, which involved a, a lone shooter who entered uh, and, and opened fire. Um, I, I responded and ultimately ended up in a gunfight with the with the shooter uh, and stopping him. Um, yeah, and then the the second one, which occurred a few years ago, uh, took place at a synagogue at a house of worship. Um, with another lone shooter who entered, uh, same story, entered open fire. Um, I was involved on the rescue and recovery end of that. Uh, the guys who got there and engaged him did an awesome job and, and did, did their part to put him down. Um, you know, so my, my involvement in the second incident was more for the search, uh, the incidental search of the building and rescue and recovery of down victims. So having worked kind of both the stop the killing and stop the dying phases of, of active killer incidents, uh, you know, I, I've kind of seen it on, on both ends of the spectrum. So I guess, and to be clear, like we, we sort of discussed ahead of time that, um, you know, personally, I don't, I don't think there's enough unfiltered information available to know exactly what happened in Texas. Um, I, I can make some guesses, but, um, my experience with the media has taught me that whatever gets reported um, is questionable at best. So we're not going to talk specifically, and we're not here to uh, lay blame 
or or really anything like that. Uh, but what I would like to discuss, I guess, first thing is what what is the current understood best practices as far as active shooter response goes? And and that's something you actually teach as well, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Um, I actually, I'm. It, it's ironic we're having this conversation. I'm just finishing up. We're just finished up. I guess the third day. I teach uh, an academy level. Uh, you know, we do a three day active killer response class, um, which obviously, in that amount of time, it's just scratching the surface of a response. But it, you know, it, it's intended to give give new police officers at least a basic fundamental understanding of you know response procedures and. Hopefully they'll go out and, and either with their department, uh, you know, go to additional training or God forbid on their own, uh, you know, endeavors go and get some additional training in it. Um, but to, to uh, first off, I agree completely with your point. I, I, with the exception that I think we can probably universally say that the incident in Texas is one that probably does not set the standard for public information operations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, with, with, I, I think everyone can agree on that, but I don't know enough about what happened truly to have an intelligent opinion yet, um, as to what, what occurred. But, um, I mean, it's, to speak as a generalization since, since Columbine, law enforcement officers have been taught, uh, you know, if, if you arrive on scene and there is an, an incident occurring where there is actively death occurring, active active killer incident um you should drive to the sound of the gunfire or absent that search the best location that that you have for the for the killer and in some form neutralize him either by taking him into custody isolating him um or engaging him if necessary right um and can you talk a little bit so i know there's a concept um that that a lot of the listeners might be familiar with, some won't be, but as far as like priority of life, can you explain that uh, right. for, for those that aren't familiar? Right. Um, so in, in an incident, all right, ideally we would keep everyone's safety paramount and everyone's safety would be insured. However, in, in the real world, we have to, um, we have to make compromises of some people's safety potentially to, insured safety of others mm-hmm. um so with that in mind we teach a priority of life or priority of safety um we, we've we've transitioned to calling priority safety because in theory nobody's life has more value than anyone's else or should be assigned more value but sure sure without getting hung up on semantics on it um we put in an incident like this we put the lives of the hostages or victims of that uh incident at, at paramount so that's your number one position Yep. Um, then we're going to put the secondary position being innocent people, uninvolved parties in the area. Then the third position will be law enforcement and other first responders. And then fourth position will be the suspect or actor, um, whatever terminology you want to use. And then fifth would be a return to normalcy, preservation of evidence and property and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, in descending order, if we have to compromise someone's safety, um, that that's the order that we go in and we defer to the higher, uh, you know, higher uh, place on the list. So if I knew nothing else about an incident uh, and was going to make a decision on it, if I asked myself the question, well, who is benefiting from this decision? And if it's someone higher on the priority of safety, then that's probably the right decision to make in, in most cases. Okay. Um, and I feel like that is a, 
pretty universal concept, not even in, in an active killer response scenario, but just uh, that's pretty well understood and taught everywhere I've ever been. Um, and, and has that been your experience as well? Yeah. Um, I mean, so one of those things that drives me crazy is the, you know, the, the Sean Connery from the untouchables where the, the, you know, number one rule is to finish your shift alive. Um, and there is a context where that is a beneficial, uh, you know, concept to understand, but it drives me crazy when it's applied to, to outside of what it's intended to be. Right. Um, and yes, I, across the board, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, obviously an active killer, but a hostage situation, a barricade situation, any, any real situation, uh, you know, that involves, uh, some sort of police action somewhere in the background, the, the concept of the priorities of safety should be being applied. Okay. Um, and I feel like that's important context for folks to have if they're not already familiar with that. Um, because as you said, I have noticed even from some people that I would expect uh, to know better um, that that sometimes gets confused or just not necessarily considered anyway. And, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that came into play here or it didn't come into play here, but I, I do think it's important information to have. So generally since Columbine, the, the best practice, the, the thing that is taught most places is um, whoever's there first, uh, go, go to the sound of the guns, make the killing stop. Would, would that be a, a fair way to put that? That is the summary. Yeah, that, that is the, uh, the headline, if you were going to summarize it. Okay. Um, we've got, um, we got about a minute left. So I will pose a question to you, then we'll go to break. And when we get back from break, you can sort of get into this. But I guess what I would like to get into is your thoughts on what someone needs to do ahead of time to set themselves up for success if they find themselves in a situation where they are the only one there and they've got to actually do this because it's really easy to say like well just do this there are a lot of pieces that go into that as far as on the training side maybe even the equipment side so that's what i'd like to get into next um but um Anyway, we'll do that after break. Right now, we're talking with Dan Papali. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at bigtechsordinance.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977, a legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the X9 family of firearms, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics and concealability with modern service pistol capacity, as well as reliability at wilsoncombat.com. So I asked you a question before the break, Dan, and it was essentially, all right, the end state is... Uh, potentially a solo officer response or solo individual response. I mean, I suppose this could apply to an armed citizen if they happen to be the first one there absolutely, and, and thought uh, or decided that they were going to do something about a situation like this. How does someone set themselves up for success though? 
Sure. So, I mean, the first thing I think probably worth talking about would be, you know, mindset itself. Um, and, you know, coming off of just discussing the priorities of safety, you know, I, I like to ask people at, at the end of the first day of an active killer class, um, you know, with regard to priority safety, it is an unnatural human response to be in position three on that on that list. Right. We we like to put ourselves in position number one. Um, so, you know, the, the only thing I ask is that you have self-awareness enough um, that, you know, I- if you're not OK with being in position three on that, man, this is the time to to realize that before the situation. Um, and that's not that that's not speaking down to anyone. That's certainly not, uh, you know, the, there's nothing wrong with not being willing to put yourself in that position. But if you do, if you if you're not willing to, then this this isn't the, the line of work for you, unfortunately. Um, and I'm happy to take you out and buy you beer and lunch if, if you make that decision now. Um, so yeah, self-awareness is huge. And if, if, if you're aware of what you're going to do beforehand, that, yeah, that coming to that decision on the day of is not the day to do it. And in truth, John, I tell everybody to me, an active killer call, that's not the scary call. That's not the scary officer involved shooting for me. And it never really has been i you know the the jared reston shooting where you're doing something mundane and it turns into a gunfight that out of nowhere that that has always been the one that scares me Mm -hmm. i when you're when you're going to it ahead of time they tell you what it is to me that that makes it a well not maybe a technically or tactically easy situation the the decision making end of it is, is significantly easier for me but um you know, moving away from, from mindset itself, you, you get into your technical and tactical skills on it. So, um, you know, setting what, yourself up. What, I'm sorry, and, go ahead. what, and if, and I really apologize to interrupt, but I actually think the mindset part of it's important, right? Um, oh, absolutely. And, and something that I don't think, uh, maybe gets mentioned enough. And I, I remember having this conversation with William April before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, but, discussing with him the concept of like a high responder versus a low responder. And I, I do not even want to try. Um, well, I mean, I guess I need to, uh, and I feel bad about trying to paraphrase William, but you know, essentially, and I don't know that people really get this, but there are certain people just due to the way they are neurologically wired are not going to be able to make themselves do that. Even, you know, even if kids are dying, like, Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of times, and I, again, not saying that's what went on or didn't go on, but when we're having a conversation about self-reflection and, you know, introspection, right. And when you're looking at something like this and you're pretty much told like, Hey, unless you do this, you're a coward. I, my fear with phrasing it that way or putting it that way is that if someone hears that and goes, well, I don't want to be a coward. So yeah, and I'm not, um, that they put themselves in a position they shouldn't be in. Mm -hmm. And, and there are absolutely certain people that, should not be in a position where, you know, they're the ones that show up uh, when 911 gets called, right? 
That, yeah, absolutely. We, we, and unfortunately, you're exactly right. You kind of load them to making a decision, um, you know, that, that they're not honestly going to make in, in real life. Yeah. And, you know, some of that you can test out with, with simulations and, and, you know, reality-based training. Um, so, you know, you can kind of, to some extent, get a feel for that. But ultimately, there's enough, you know, uh, there's enough artificiality in all of that that you may miss something at some point. But you're, you're exactly right that it's not a judgment call against someone that if they're if they are not wired to, to react that way, that that doesn't make them a bad person. Um, you know, it it may take actually more courage for someone to to speak up and say this isn't for me now as opposed to going 25 years playing the statistics that you won't have to make that decision right um and you know and and that's kind of the again i i remember thinking this well frankly i remember when um when parkland happened uh i was certainly on the you know what what the hell um uh, mm-hmm. camp and in the intervening years after more research and study and stuff like that again. And, and to be clear, I, I'm really hopeful that people understand what I'm saying. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, it makes it okay for, for first responders to, you know, that that is not a characteristic that a first responder should have. Let me put sure. it that way. I agree. Um, it, the same way that, you know, you shouldn't play in the NBA if your vertical is four, four inches. Like, <laughs> right. And it, again, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's just an observation of facts. My, my fear is, like I said, though, is that the way these conversations are often framed and with some of the stuff that's attached to it, people that really should be figuring this stuff out ahead of time uh, are essentially peer pressured into not or at least not being honest with themselves. I don't know. So that's why I bring it up. I, I, I think you're spot on the money. I, I think, um, yeah, you're, there is a peer pressure to, to kind of live up to the person you see. That self-interest was any motivation in the Uvalde shooting decisions that were made. Um, you know, there, there are certainly other factors that could come into play beyond self-interest for how things happened the way that they did. So I, I don't want to frame that in that I'm suggesting that that's the case because I like, like everyone else, I just don't know enough right now. Yeah. Um, what was funny about that is at a certain point, it sounded like uh, someone had taken whatever you were saying and slowed it down to like point to speed so technology (laughs) um but uh so yeah as far as the so we've covered the mindset and you were about to get into some of the other considerations and i was rude and interrupted you um and we got about three minutes left in the segment so if you want to touch on it a little bit and then we'll we'll hop back into it next segment yeah sure so yeah i mean once you get past the the mindset aspect of it uh you know and some of that can be trained. Some of it obviously is inherent to the person. But uh, then you have to move on to considering your your technical and your your tactical skills. So your your technical skills being your your 
capabilities at shooting, um, you know, be that whatever standard you want to draw and, and work off of. And certainly, you know, they're, they're, it, it's kind of funny because shooting standards are both objective and subjective. You know, when we do a drill, whatever that may be, we have some objective standard that someone has made up, but then, uh, you know, in a real world shooting, it's subjective. Your your the skill level or level of proficiency required is totally subjective to whatever the the person you're engaged in a gunfight with uh, yeah. sets it at. Um, so yeah, you know, you have to go into that with the opinion that with with that relative unknown uh, standard, the, the the reasonable response is that I would like to, and I will train as if my goal was to be the best gunfighter in the whole world. Um, you know, obviously I'm never going to reach that level, but that's, that's always going to be the goal. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's lots of practical concerns why, why that can't happen. And certainly maybe it keeps us from being well-rounded and shouldn't go down that lane, but that that's what we're going to train to. So, you know, pick whatever standards you think are reasonable. You know, if only somebody taught a standards class, <laughs> uh, you know, my my whole thing, my whole shtick, and I stole this from Gabe White, right? Um, but my idea has always been that if I were out in public somewhere and two dudes with body armor and rifles showed up, that I would at least have 50-50 odds against both of them with whatever handgun I happen to have on my person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and but that is, again, like... Yeah, that that is very subjective, right? And right. What, what I imagine versus what you imagine versus what anybody else imagines um, is going to be somewhat different. What I'd like to do is get your thoughts on if you had to assign like a skill set to it, like an objective skill set, like, hey, here's here's what I did. And it worked out pretty OK for me when I had to do it for real. I'd like to hear about that. Um, but we'll do that when we get back from the break. Right now, we're talking with uh, Dan Folly. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tex Ordnance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at bigtexordnance.com. This segment also brought to you by Big Tex Ordnance. Big Tex Ordnance is the best place for you to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the Candela from ModLite at the lowest price. No problem. Did you spend too much time alone in your room and, well, now you need an optic on your pistol? Hey, Big Tex Ordnance has those and they don't judge much. Glock accessories? Yes, fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, Big Tex Ordnance has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike. And you'll like Ike, too. Visit BigTexOrdinance.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So before the break, Dan, I asked you, um, essentially, what skill set do you think people should have? Well, uh, so, you know, ultimately, when we're talking about an incident like this, there, there, in order for this to happen, there has to be a pool of victims available so right off the bat when we're talking about this you you definitely have to have some sort of degree of marksmanship where you have to have not only marksmanship but the self-awareness and control to be able to throttle back as need be until you can guarantee that that shot right this isn't the uh well 
it, generally speaking, it's not the environment where Miss Browns are going to go into places that are, are aren't important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it's a combination of a time standard that, that I would maybe think is proficient. I, boy, um, you know, if you can untimed, if you can probably shoot a 90 or better on a B8 at 25, that that's probably pretty good accuracy standard. I would say to, to start out with, um, and then speed, you know, I like to run, um, we have a, a I've made up a hostage rescue target, the, you know, the nineties, uh, classic, you know, one head in front of another shocked face on the victim with partially obscured head. And if you can run that from a holster, probably it's seven yards in two seconds, reliably make your hit. I, I think you're probably getting somewhere pretty, pretty close to being effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then obviously there's, tons of standards out there i've i've always liked the coming from pat we're both students pat rogers i've always liked the the musoc handgun qual i think that's a good uh you know a good basic handgun qual to run people on mm-hmm. um but you know i mean again it comes back to i i'd rather have somebody self-aware with worse skills who is committed and willing to close distance uh you know till they can guarantee a good hit um as opposed to someone, you know, who, who's unaware and, and kind of outruns their headlights. Right. As far as equipment selection in general, there are some considerations uh, when doing this that maybe aren't obvious at first gl- glance. And I, I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. Sure. Um, well, sure. So, I mean, right off the bat, obviously if you're going to a fight you know you're going to a fight this is some this is a time for a rifle if if you have it Mm -hmm. um so i mean the in 2022 it's a good time to be buying rifles because the the selection and quality is is well it's like never been never been before and um i mean without going into a whole monologue on how rifles should be equipped i think everyone has a pretty good idea at this point of, of, of what a good fighting rifle setup should be. So, sure. um, you know, and, and whether or not you're talking about extending your range with a LPVO or a magnifier or whatever, um, I mean, something to consider, uh, you know, I, I don't know off the top of my head what the longest shot ever in an killer incident was. I know I took one at 65 feet with, uh, which was a headshot on a partially obscured shooter. So he was using a, um, victim to partially obscure his body. So, uh, you know, I mean, with a handgun, that's a challenging shot with a rifle. It's a cakewalk. Right. Um, but you know, beyond, beyond the basics, obviously, you know, again, in kind of the public conscious right now, uh, you know, potential breaching capability, mm-hmm. um, which I, I, I would venture if I was taking a survey across the country, I would say more police departments than not are not equipping basic patrol cars with, you know, something as simple as a Ram and a, a or even a sledgehammer and a Halligan uh, yeah. to do some sort of mechanical breach. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate our department, our cars all have uh, at very least a Ram and a Halligan in them. Um, you know, if I were, really getting serious about it. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I kind of, part of me hates to see the death of the shotgun in law enforcement only because 
you know, it, it is good even with buckshot if in you know, extreme situations as, as a ballistic breaching tool. Yeah. Um, yeah, the shotguns kind of went away except for less lethal applications. And that's part of me kind of regrets that because, you know, in, in a pinch that that's a, that's a good tool to have. Yeah. Uh, even if you're not using breaching rounds, um, boy, you know, I like, uh, I carry in my, in my bag a little, it's a, what was it, a Stanley foobar tool, like a little demolition tool that I took a grinding wheel and cut off the bottom jaw and kind of reprofiled the, the top jaw and it makes a nice handy little pocket halligan i guess you'd call it right so as far as so like breaching stuff um i would assume um med bag wouldn't be bad and, and to be clear we're not not trying to suggest that uh you know people running into a situation sacrifice necessarily mobility for like a a Skyrim style inventory <laughs> management. Right. Uh, it'd be cool, but you know, it doesn't work that way. Um, but at least some kind of breaching implement and some sort of medical in addition to, if possible, a long gun wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the uh, accompanying skill set and training to, to make use of those things. Um, you know, it, law enforcement, we've got much better about med training and uh, even, man, when I started a, a med kit was a, one of those Red Cross first aid kits that might have some Band-Aids and a burn gel in them or whatever. And, you know, we've mm-hmm. got much better about practical traumatic casualty type bags with, with tourniquets with quick clot with combat go- or combat gauze with dressings and everything you might need um and you know we've gotten better about putting them in kits that could be easily deployed you, you hit the nail on the head which is if you have to spend a minute or two minutes kitting up before you go in that's that's unacceptable as well right i mean yeah um yeah. so so generally maybe staging something like a shoulder bag or having it on if you're going to up armor uh yeah wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to do a, a you know a, a go bag or something that you can throw on in your passenger seat, or I mean, far better would even be, you know, if you ride around. If, if, again, law enforcement. I'm not saying this actually works for the civilian as well, but there's some secondary concerns with it. But if we're talking about a plate carrier or something, you could throw on, um, you know, with all that on it as well. Uh, you know, as long as it's something you can put on in a couple seconds and not not spending significant amount of time getting kitted up uh that that's all good uh i have no problem with any of that stuff and yeah i i think um i think we're at a point where we kind of need to get law enforcement to think of that second phase that stopping the dying is at least as significant as the the initial stopping the killing the phase which i we we have done we've gotten much better at that at transitioning well and that's yeah um again it's one of those things where like you know we're both human i'm i'm sure that we have thoughts and want to talk about it um i i will say stuff that i have seen uh mentioned specifically from texas and also just in other instances is people equating someone shot is already dead and it doesn't work that way Right. And you can you can have a ton of people shot, and if you can get medical to them quickly enough, they might not die, right? Mm-hmm. And absolutely, it, and it seems like 
in certain instances, that hasn't always been considered. Right. And I think, you know, so part of active killer response is a training. Part of the training is to include the concept that one of the things you're doing here is evaluating as you go. And part of that evaluation is, has this changed to a static situation? Has it changed to a barricade situation or a hostage situation? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And if so, then is pressing that threat creating more danger than it's resolving? And you know, I'm kind of, we're, we're all kind of walking around the obvious here when we're, we're talking about it at this moment in time. But part of me believes that that factored into decision making, right or wrong, um, w- with the incident in Texas. Um, so kind of with that in mind, there's also what we call the doomed uh, captive or doomed hostage paradigm, where in certain situations, yes, someone is a hostage, but is the likelihood of their survival increased or decreased by taking immediate action. And in situations where we're referring to them as a doomed captive, well, more likely than not, immediate action is going to increase their likelihood of survival rather than decrease it. So, you know, maybe going forward from here, that might be a conversation to have whether any type of hostage or barricade situation that's evolved out of one of these active killer incidents is just automatically a doomed captive paradigm. Well, and I'd actually like to get into that a little bit um, with, you know, with the full caveat. I'll ask questions. I don't really want to share an opinion necessarily because I don't think, sure. I've, I don't think I've earned one, but um, we got to go to break. And when we get back, we'll get into that. Uh, right now we're talking with Dan Papale. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Big Tech's Ordnance, where every customer is a friend, not just an order. Visit them online at bigtechsordnance.com. So before the break, you were talking about the doomed captive paradigm, which is essentially the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the, uh, the concept that if you do not act, uh, whomever this is, is going to die, period. Um, and the cost of inaction is essentially their death. Am I, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty reasonable summary. Okay. Um, and you had sort of said maybe moving forward from, uh, you know, Texas that, you know, should we consider every barricaded subject or hostage situation that stems from one of these situations, um, is, is just kind of this doomed captive paradigm or fitting inside of that paradigm. I kind of right. have, have my initial thought on that, but I'd really like to hear what you think first. And I'll ask some questions. Yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat, you know, I hate speaking in definitives. I, you know, always sure. and never is never, a, <laughs> always and never is rarely the right answer for something because inevitably something comes along and that that doesn't prove to be the case Mm -hmm. um but having said that you know this isn't the first uh, yeah certainly uh the other example that popped into my head would have been the pulse nightclub was sort of a similar situation where you have that and then you have a moment that transpires where the action has stopped uh and now we're not really sure what this is exactly um you know, and, and I don't know 
the, the devil is always in the details in anything. And, you know, you, you have to really get into the, the nitty gritty in terms of what's being communicated or known as to what, what th- there's a gamble in any action, including in no action, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, boy, that seems like in a lot of these that might be the, aggressing the threat still might be the better option. Well, and again, um, for anyone listening, um, it's very easy for me to sit in my chair here, uh, not having been put in that situation and reasonably sure that I won't ever be put in that situation. But it strikes me that if someone goes somewhere um, and the their goal uh, and how that situation starts is by them killing as many people or at least trying to kill as many people as possible, and then for whatever reason they, you know, turn into a barricaded subject or a hostage situation. It seems to me that a reasonable assumption could be made that they're just going to kill more people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is the, certainly the inference. Um, no, I mean, granted, there are certainly instances where that is not necessarily the, the outcome that happened, sure. but, but I mean, if you were, you know, the, if you were comparing the worst possible outcomes from either course of action, from either inaction or from action, and, and this is kind of where it gets difficult because, you know, in general, outside of these circumstances, it's usually much easier to defend inaction than action, Yeah, unfortunately, in life. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that is sort of a conscious shifting of, of gears that you have to do. Um, but it certainly seems to me that in general, the consequences of action are probably usually going to be less bad than inaction. Let me ask you this, um, you know, and, and I have a seven-year-old daughter, um, so <laughs> I know what I would like to have happen if, um, if one of her schools was targeted for violence and I have a 13 year old son um, and I know what I would like to have happen if one of his schools was targeted for violence, but from a law enforcement perspective, or maybe even just from a human perspective, do you think the age of the potential victims should factor into the decision-making? That's a good question, John. Um, I think possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ultimately this comes back on, on one level to not necessarily assigning greater value of life to anyone than anyone else. So I don't want to pretend like I'm doing that because that, that's not the case, but certainly from a tactical standpoint, you know, a, a, by the time you get into teenagers, they have some capability to rationalize and come up with their own defense plan. Um, you know, I, I have my, my youngest is uh, five and my oldest is seven right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, and this also kind of comes into the debate that ultimately an active killer isn't an equipment related problem from the standpoint of what makes an effective person, effective in the sense that we're talking about a successful massacre as compared to an unsuccessful one. It's not so much an equipment issue as it is a tactical problem. Right. Um, You know, and unfortunately when we're talking about kids this old, you know, 
once the two teachers are, are out of the equation, then there's no effective counter counter that, that, that these kids are going to offer inside that room. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, regardless of any equipment that was used, once the teachers are gone, if you're between them and the door, unfortunately, you know, they're not going to overpower you and push past you out the door. Right. That's, that's extremely unlikely. So, you know, I, I think in that sense, maybe law enforcement, you know, boy, aggressing that threat might work out better, uh, you know, long run than aggressing a threat involving people who have some sort of capability to potentially stave off, uh, you know, trauma inside the inside there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not convinced that it's I'm not convinced that that needs to be the deciding factor, though, either. Well, and it's a hard thing, right? Um, and, you know, and I asked that question and it was uncomfortable for me to ask it. And I heard the pause when I did, because, again, as someone with kids, um, I very much hope that my response, uh, if I were put in a position where uh, I would like to think very much that I would do everything in my power to make sure that uh, uh, that ended as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just curious. Uh, I would, frankly, I was curious to hear what you thought. So, yeah, I, I boy, you know, it, it, I would much rather see, I would much rather see an unsuccessful attempt than a successful or a, an unsuccessful lack of action, I guess would be, um, you know, how boy, not that, not that any of those outcomes are acceptable, but yeah, I, 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 everything I've experienced in my life has proven that, you know, well, again, to, to, to coin a borrow a phrase from our friends in the SAS who dares wins. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I believe that in all my heart, that taking action has a better likelihood of a positive outcome than, than not. Yeah. Um, we got three or four minutes left in the show and, you know, we, we covered some general stuff and, and hopefully, you know, it's helpful to people uh, or at least makes people think about this sort of thing from a different direction if they weren't already thinking about it from a different direction. But what, you know, what would you leave people with? Having, having had to do it twice, um, you know, is there any, any words of wisdom or things that if, if they only know one thing, uh, what would you have them know? Uh, so I would say, I mean, Hey man, have, have confidence in yourself, build work, work ahead of time to build yourself up, uh, you know, with technical and tactical proficiency, there's a million different shooting schools and there's a million different tactical schools out there. And I don't think we're losing incidents or not being successful in incidents because people are doing whatever strong wall instead of points of domination in their CQB or anything. I, I, I don't think any of, of, pick a reputable school, be comfortable and confident in the tactics that they taught, whether it's you know, through the NTOA or Fletzy or what Bridge Mason's doing in Darcy or on the high end or whatever, be proficient with it. And I think recency is as important as 
um, you know, as, as the quantity, uh, initial quantity of training. So, you know, the, just like the 15 minutes of dry fire probably is more important on your performance on any given day than the three day class you took six months ago. I think, you know, doing a little bit in service training for an hour is probably more important to your performance than taking, taking one, one class and saying that's it and you're done. Yeah. Um, everything. I agree with that. I agree with that completely. What, um, do you think that, and I swear this is my last question. Maybe it's my show. I do what I want. <laughs> um, it strikes me that violence of action and just, you know, the whole concept of speed and surprise and aggression can make up for a lot of technical and tactical shortcomings in certain scenarios and maybe even specifically in this kind of scenario. What, what do you think of that? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of ironic in that speed, surprise and violence of action have kind of almost become taboo when in the SWAT world. And, and, but the reality is that, yeah, I, I would describe it maybe even more so as just momentum and, and carrying that momentum. And I think, yeah, I, I don't think you necessarily need to be perfect in your execution of tactics. I think probably more important actually might be understanding the whys of the tactics. Um, only because, you know, if, if we can do that, then you can build thinkers that might think of outside the box solutions, uh, you, you know, to, to the problems that are presented in, in front of them. Um, but yeah, I, I believe that carrying that momentum absolutely positively affects the, the outcome cool dan thanks so much for like drastically rearranging your schedule to come and talk to us with like very little notice um really means a lot to me and uh you know i i do appreciate it it is my pleasure john always always a good time on here even if we're talking about terrible things yeah man um life is funny i did not expect uh god nine ten years ago that when i whenever it was i first met you that we'd be having this conversation a decade later but here we are so but uh dude thanks so much uh be safe i'll talk with you soon all right yeah take care buddy all right hey guys make sure you check out our website ballisticradio.com like our facebook page at facebook.com slash ballistic radio and hey if you think we deserve it please keep leaving those five-star reviews on itunes it really helps us out and helps uh new people find the show thanks for listening everyone as always be safe and see you next week